With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to On the Preds with me, your host, Alex Darty of A to Z Sports and Sean Smith of On the Forecheck, the show where we recap the Preds week and we talk puck. We review the lives of the rich and famous, at least the ones that wear knives on their feet. Sean, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good, Alex. How are you doing? Excellent. I hope your Thanksgiving holiday was really, really good. Uh, you know, we, uh, my son last year during during the uh, all of the lockdown and quarantine and all that stuff was uh, really, he was he was six at the time and he, he wanted to have, you know, a, a big a big dinner. So for wow. the first time we we cooked a big one and then this this year he's like I want to do it again. So um, cooked the big one. You know it. Well, you know, he wanted to he wanted to shoot the turkey, which was really kind of surprising to me, and um, <laughs> which is kind of odd. You know, we we took it out of the refrigerator, the freezer, and let it thaw. We fired a couple of pistol rounds into it, <laughs> like the pioneers. Cooked it up, <laughs> yeah, just like the pioneers. He was a lot happier. I mean, it wasn't as tasty, but it's fine. You know, wow. we all we all picked through it and got what we needed. Shot, got shot the slugs his own out. turkey. Yeah, shot his own turkey. So amazing. Um, this this year was uh, this year was no different, but it was nice. We had more people over. And you know that's nice kind of a cool nice. tradition. That's kind of a cool tradition. I think you should do that every year. I, I have a friend yeah. that has a tradition where they name their turkey every year. They uh, oh wow they but they don't name it until it's cooked or something. Like they they when it's after it's cooked, they take it out and they name it and they say some like official like in the name of Frederick. Here's oh, wow. Thanksgiving dinner. You know whatever his name is. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Our traditions are much less uh, draconian, I think. Uh, we just <laughs> eat, we just eat a bunch of food, and that's pretty much it. Um, <clears throat> but the Predators uh, have had three games since we last talked. We actually did a show not that long ago. We did a show last what was it last Tuesday? Uh, yeah, that was was pretty. Uh, wasn't very long ago at all. Yeah, and so now we're back. Um, Gonna get the show back on schedule every Sunday, as the graphic says, and also as the graphic says, today is the day that report cards are in, and we are having oh some uh, some some meetings with our. We're having parent teacher conferences. <laughs> we're we're meeting with our our students and our parents and going over how the, how people have done so far this year because the Predators are twenty one games into an eighty two game season, so about quarter of the way there. Um, the, the quarter poll, as some people say, and we're ready to, to, to analyze, you know, what, what, what's working, who's doing well, who's not working, who's not doing well, where's the team stand right now? I'm, I'm ready for that. You know, that's my, that's my uh, day job is teaching. So I know all about report cards. Um, definitely, yep. uh, you know, I don't know. I teach seniors. I don't get a lot of parent teacher conference action, but oh, occasionally yeah. you'll have to talk to one, but, uh, this this should be good. It should be fun. I'm excited about and, it. And if you're like if you're if yours are like mine were, I was a, I was a teacher as well. I also taught seniors. We, we had that in common. 
you, the only teachers that you talked to were the ones that were just like so far above and beyond the need for it. Like they were just, they were the good kids and the ones that had active parents, all the parent, all the kids that needed, you need to talk to the parents. It, it just went into the ether. Hey, can yeah, you go to I, a parent teacher conference? Oh yeah. I'll talk to my dad about that. Uh, nothing ever happens. Ain't going to happen. I, yeah. I remember, I remember I sent a letter home just kind of preparing, uh, the, the parents for the rigor to expect in the class. And mm-hmm. one of the parents got back and they were really concerned. Do you think this is going to be too much for, her? and she ended up being like the best student I've ever had. And I yeah. was like, man, you yeah. really, you really were the only one worried and you're really the only one who didn't need to worry. So yeah, it happens. Speaking of rigor, the predators have had a rigorous couple of games up in this last three game stretch, uh, al- along with one easier game, uh, we're going to talk about that now. Uh, let's go ahead and recap the the week that we the week two. We saw three games. We saw Vegas Wednesday night, night before Thanksgiving. We saw um, New Jersey the day after Thanksgiving, and then we saw Colorado last night and uh, Saturday night in Denver. Let's talk about Vegas first. So the night before Turkey Day, the Vegas Golden Knights come to Nashville. Not a great matchup for the Predators. Not a great result on the scoreboard either. Chandler Stevenson gets them up one nothing. Then Jonas Rundberg, I think is how you say his name, Rundberg, uh, and Adam Brooks sure. make it three nothing Vegas by the end of the second. The Preds just could not get anything by Robin Leonard. He played sensational, uh, not unlike Matt Duchesne's secret hat trick against Montreal the previous Saturday. Forsberg puts up two goals in the third, puts up a fight. But it just wasn't enough. And I should also mention that he had a, a goal called back on goalie interference by Tommy Novak. So Forsberg was really close to having a secret hat trick, just like Matthew Shane had one. Um, the real killer in this game was Alex Petrangelo's shorthanded goal that made it 4-1 just after the Predators had made it 3-1 uh, on, on the first the, the first official Forsberg goal early in the third. And then they had a power play. And then Petrangelo gets the shorthanded goal, and that was really just the rally killer. At that point, game over. Preds lose five to two. Uh, let's just briefly talk about this game. I got one goal to show, but it's really, really not much of a, not much fun to look at for this Predators team on this goal on this game. No, uh, you know I was at the game in person um, as as a fan in the stands, not up in the uh, in the media area. Okay. Uh, you know it just. Uh, they look kind of flat to me. And I think, and it wasn't so much that they, they it came out pretty strong. I think they started the game well. And then it seemed like after that, there was just this ease of momentum. It's like they let, they let Vegas take over and it kind of stayed that way. And I was honestly, it's kind of surprised to see the fight they put up at the end. But I, I think that's something I've noticed is that even when the team gets kind of down in the game, they do have some get back to itness toward the end of the game. And I, I, I like that. I feel Get like back to itness. I mean, it's fine. Um, no, no, that's great because that 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 is a spin off of stick to itiveness. Yeah, well, that's what I was going for. But no, that, <laughs> there's that's relevant. I'll, I'll let you keep going, but I'll tell you why that's relevant in a second. Sorry. Well, but I, me personally, like I'm hoping that that kind of turns into maybe we extend that get back to itiveness into some stick to it of whatever. Um, we don't see the drop in effort. I mean, we've talked for a long time about the team can tend to play down to an opponent or tend to, uh, you know, try to match speed and things like that. But I I feel like 
it's like they refocus and reorganize and said, okay, let's play to our strengths and try to make something happen. And, and things were happening. It just would have been yeah. much better to happen in the second half of the first or any of the second. Um, you know, end of the third, why not? Sure. A little late. Yeah, the, exactly. It seemed like uh, Vegas was just much more prepared. I, one thing I think about this team is is that they seem like a team that if they, if they are not the dominant team in the first period, it is very difficult for them to get back into games. It takes a long time. But as we see in the next game we're going to talk about, when they start off well, when they start off uh, on you know kind of clicking on both ends and the you know goal, goalies and the defense are kind of doing their thing and the forwards are creating offense, you know they're they, they, they they're much less likely to lose that as the game goes on as they are to gain it back if they don't have it. Um, right. And that, what what you said that they get back to itness is the thing that they lack, uh, and, and I think that's that's a big thing. The reason I mentioned the get back to itness is uh, our, our our good buddy Jim Diamond, who's covered the Predators for a very very long time. Stick to itiveness is one of his uh, favorite phrases that coaches use. Mm. John Hines uses that phrase. Uh, he's used it at least at least a couple times. I think he's a big fan of that. But I think get back to itness is a is a a morph of that phrase that I think we could really we could really latch on to. I think we could really stick to that one. That's a, that's a great one. So I'm, well played. I applaud, well played. I applaud <laughs> you for that one. Um, okay, so let's talk about the New Jersey game. Uh, I, I, I mentioned I had a goal from the Vegas game, but I actually want to save that. I want to look at that later because it's it has to do with my report cards, uh, at least one of mine. Um, okay. So uh, New Jersey, the day after Turkey Day, Friday, things are much better. This is a better matchup for the Predators and thus a better result on the scoreboard. Ryan Johansson finds Roman Yossi on the left side who gets a trickler, a little trickler goal. Uh by our old friend Jonathan Bernier, who I did not realize was was with New Jersey, uh, but he's there and uh, he is known for giving up some really softies against Nashville. Uh, definitely remember that Western Conference Final where he let a couple in. Anyways, that made it one nothing. Then Philip Tomasino gets into the tough areas, uh, gets a puck on net, and then gets a goal. Two nothing. Early in the third period, Mikhail Granlin and Matthew Shane connect on a really nice play. Matthew Shane behind the net finds him on the backhand sauce. Mikhail Granlin doesn't get a lot on the shot, but he gets it right where it needs to be. Three nothing Preds. There's a couple of Devils goals when it kind of didn't matter. Uh, that made the score a little odd, four to two. But the uh, empty netter was by Alex Carrier, who had uh, just it was like a I don't know 150 footer, 160 footer, something like that. Uh, all the way down the ice. <clears throat> Predators win four to two. Were you at this game? Uh, no, no, I was not. I was, um, was watching this one from home. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of talk about um, these last two games, you know, New Jersey and Colorado. And I don't want to get into talking about both of them until we talk about Colorado. But I feel like more than more than likely, this was a game that they kind of marked down as this is one we've got to win. Um, this is, of course, John Hines' old team, the team that fired him. Um, it's not not the first game against them um, since he's been with the Predators. They had one really pretty soon after he got hired. Um, but I still feel like, you know, there's got to be some motivation, at least on the coaching end. I mean, like all games, you want to win them, but this one had to be circled on the calendar as, hey, we're winning this one, boys. Let's make sure it happens. 
Yeah. Um, and I really, I really felt that from the team for the entire game. And we talked about the strong start, I think, the first half of the first period against Vegas. But you saw that, I think, throughout the entire game. Um, I was really surprised there weren't more goals. Um, it seemed like they weren't having that hard of a time getting them in. But, uh, you know, I, I liked what I saw on Friday. Um, I was very curious about how that would lead into the game on Saturday because of it being a back-to-back. There are a lot of weird dynamics at play, especially with Colorado having a game in Dallas at the Mm -hmm. same time and having to travel back home. Um, But, you know, I I really, I too kind of felt like this is probably an easy win. I I hate saying that because it sounds really cocky, you know, but it seemed like that was going to be an easy win. I wasn't focused as much on what was happening <laughs> on Friday as I was thinking about what was going to happen on Saturday. If that makes sense. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think we had, we had talked about that back to back being kind of a tricky one. Uh, they did go with yeah. Soros and Net obviously on Friday. Um, maybe they were just banking on the fact that, that was going to be an easy win. I made the observation, and I, I stick to it, that I think uh, this is what the Predators should have looked like against Montreal the previous Saturday. Remember, I mean, we, we talked about how that Montreal team was not very good. And this New Jersey team. Now, I, I think the Canadians are better than the Devils. Don't get me wrong. They're not equal teams. But um, this is what they should have looked like. They should have, they should have been uh, you know, on fire to start the game, and they just weren't in the Montreal game. Yeah. yeah you know, I, we said, what, that you want to see those teams that should be guaranteed wins, should be easy wins, look like easy wins, and not look like they've had to fight for them, or like with Montreal, lose them. Um that's what I saw. I know that's what, what you saw as well, right? That's how they should have looked against Montreal. I guess right. I guess the question is, you know, what's the difference? And, and something I would point to, if you look back, they they lost to uh, they lost to Vegas on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving Eve, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And then it was announced after the game that they would in fact be having practice the next day on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Um, and and I don't think anybody was at that practice. I think it was, you know, I think they knew they'd be able to have it, that probably no one would show up. I didn't see any reporting on that practice. So, you know, oh, you mean, I have no idea what's showing up. Yeah, right. Yeah, I have no idea what happened there. Um, I'm not going to imply or anything, but I'm, I'm sure they had a, a pretty serious conversation. Um, and they probably talked about what they needed to do to make it happen on, on Friday. And I think yeah. that's what you saw. So maybe maybe something like that's necessary before games that should be easy wins to, to make it happen. That's a good know. point. Yeah, that, yeah, definitely, definitely made. Uh, I, I saw that as well, and I was like, hmm, they're practicing on Thanksgiving. I, I can't recall if they've done that before. I feel like they probably have. I know, I know they've played on Thanksgiving before, like they played a game in Can, uh, in Canada on you know American Thanksgiving, which obviously makes sense, but. Um, it does probably just happen very often. That's that's for sure. I did want to show one goal from this game. Uh, this was the this was the goal uh, that I mentioned, the trickler, the trickler goal. Uh, the reason I'm showing this is not because of the actual goal, but it's because of the the pass by Ryan Johansson. I think this is just uh, this is an incredible pass. I just wanted to show this real quick. Ryan Johansson, watch this soft pass off the heel, up and down, over to Roman Yossi. Some deception with his eyes. See the way Yossi's looking across is always going to pass. Here's another example of it, and Yossi, see his head? Doesn't telegraph the fact that he's going to shoot great deception, throws this one on. One of the reasons I like that goal is because, first of all, Roman Yossi is in a place on that attack 
that not a lot of defensemen go. He's way wide. He's he's so far wide on the left, and he's so far high. He's so far high up that he stretches that defense. But that pass is not an easy one to make because Ryan Johansson has to send it through two guys. He has to send it on his tape because if he doesn't, he's going to send it. If he sends it too far, obviously he, the, the pass won't connect. If he sends it behind him, he's going to create a, a traffic where the the defense can recover. It's a perfect pass. And it's by two guys that really are playing well right now. I mean, Ryan Johansson and Roman Yossi, along with Matthew Shane, probably Philip Forsberg, are all just like they're they're playing at the level that they need to play at. Play at, uh, and that pass is just a really really good one by uh, by Johansson. Um, and then you you get to see that that's a weak goal. <laughs> I mean, like that really shouldn't have been a goal, but uh, you know it happens. Sometimes you get bounces. I, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll take it for sure, but. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a good pass. And I think that's, that's something, you know, I, I myself, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, something I complain about a lot is passing, especially cross-ice passes like that. The, you know, yeah. north-south stuff, I think the team does and has done very well on. But going across the ice has been an issue this <laughs> season, last season, except for several seasons. Um, I'm starting to see a lot more cross-ice passes that connect that look crisp and that can result in goals like that, even though you said it shouldn't have been a goal. It's kind of a, a dribbler, but still, uh, you know, right place, right time, right angle, probably off of the inside of his leg came through. I'll take it. And and that yeah. comes because of that cross ice pass. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about New Jersey. That was the, the one win this week. Let's go ahead and jump into Colorado because I predicted that last on our show on Tuesday, I said, I was already putting this down as an L, and that's exactly what happened. Um, it kind of happened in a different way than I thought. I mean, I, I, I thought there was a chance that they could go Soros in this game. Actually, I can't remember if I said that or not. But uh, them coming off a of back-to-back, going into Denver, um, who also, by the way, had to travel. They were on a back-to-back in Dallas, and they had to travel back home to go to this game. Uh, this, there was a lot of bad in this game. Uh, there was some good, there was a big old fight, but then there was just a lot of bad. So both teams on the second half of back-to-backs, the Preds beating the Devils, and then the Avs losing to the Stars in Dallas. So I had a feeling the Avs would be, you know, pissed off coming home and wanting to take it off on the, take it out on the Preds. Uh, and I also had this feeling that the Preds might sleepwalk through this one just because I, I feel like they, they would come off the high of that New Jersey game, they haven't been to Denver in a while. Going, going to Denver is tough because of the altitude change. I know that people talk about that, but it really does impact things. Um, second half back-to-backs in Denver, there has to be there has to be data on that that shows that teams are <laughs> do not do well in that. Probably right. I, I, I think there's probably something to that. You talk about the altitude, and have you, have you ever been to Denver? Have you ever been over there? I, I have, uh, and I'm also going there in February for a ski trip. Um, one of my, one of my best friends lives in, in Colorado in, in that area. And he said, I, I asked out of curiosity, I said, you know, is the, is the, is the altitude really a thing? Is that, he said it took him about 11 months to really get acclimated to it. Wow. Yeah. It took a long time. And so Man. I think it's really, it's funny when people mention, oh, the altitude kind of like, it's not that big of a deal. But when you think about someone living there, working there going about their daily business. It said it took, said it yeah. took him 11 months to really feel like it wasn't something different for him. And yeah. that's, that should tell you something about flying in after a, playing a game 
and then playing another game and trying to deal with that. It's, it's not, <laughs> not a positive thing. So Miko Rantanen had a hat trick in this game, uh, including two power play goals in the first period. At that point, I was like, man, this is going to be a rough game because they, they, they already capitalized on two of their power plays. I think they had three in the first period, maybe four. I think it was three. And, uh, and the Avs forwards were just – they were just way too much for the Preds' defense to handle. They, they, the Preds' defense could not could not get them out of the zone, could not get them out of the danger area. I mean, it was just – it was really bad. And it kind of led to this. Uh, there was some chippiness. I remember at one point Nick Cousins and Nazem Kadri, who's just always – I mean, both those players, Cousins and Kadri, I mean, that's just like a match made in heaven in terms of getting mad at each other on the ice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, those, both those guys get under people's skin all the time, and so it just makes sense for them to clash. Uh, I was trying to see what they were yelling about. They were in the penalty box and both yelling at each other. Uh, I can't really tell what it was about. But uh, it led to this. And I'm gonna, just going to show the video first, and then we'll kind of break it down. But this is in the, uh, the second period um, as the uh, Avalanche are coming through the zone. Um, Miko Rantanen collides with David Riddick, and – then this madness happens. You'll see this all this here. Pass was broken up, and then cut down was Landeskog. He goes into Riddick, and now we've got a ton of pushing and shoving. Landeskog still on one knee. Ranson is having a quick conversation with Ekholm back behind the net, and he's getting angry, and Ekholm's getting a piece of him. He's yanking on his lid and tore his helmet off. Did Ekholm and threw it. And now here comes McCarr and Kadri's involved. Miko is red hot. And now we may have a fight. Landeskog's going to go toe-to-toe with Ekholm. A couple of rights. Landeskog leveling Ekholm. And he pounds him down to the ice. Other bodies getting into him on either side. Oh, goodness gracious. And Ekholm. Sorry, it was uh, it was Landeskog that went to the goalie, and then Branton was there. Um, it, it just it was a whole brawl, but um, it, it was pretty much done after that. There was a little bit after that, but but at the end of all that, um, Ekholm gets a penalty for uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, I think, for the helmet thing, uh, and then Landeskog gets 17 minutes. He gets the, the the full 17 fighting, instigator, all that stuff. So he gets he's out of the game for most. For most of the rest of the third period, he comes back later, um, and you know the, the, there's there's sort of a few key things that happen. First of all, Landeskog goes into the goalie. Um, in my opinion, it does look like it's accidental. It, he, I don't think he's trying to. He's I mean he's on the ice. I mean when you're on the ice, you're not on your skates. Like you really don't have a lot of control over where you slide. Um, and he's going hard to the net. I mean any any player would do that. But it's, it's everything that happens after that that's really the, the big thing. And I think Ekholm was very frustrated. And I think him going after Landeskog and then Rantanen. And by the way, Kadri was also on the ice. All those guys together were just like causing fits for the defense. And that led to Ekholm's frustration. And he's going after uh, Rantanen. Getting his, and then he gets his helmet. Uh, he's kind of reaching over the pile there. He gets his helmet and he rips it off. Um, I don't have ever seen a player do that like by the ear hole. <laughs> it looks kind of crazy and then he rips it he throws it and then uh, that's when things get crazy because then landis comes over and you know there's been some debate on whether you know was it a sucker punch thing or was it you know i mean obviously landis got all the penalty minutes because it was not a traditional fighting situation he came he comes over and engages at home who was not ready for a fight 
And a lot of the people seem to be focusing on, well, Ekholm should have known that he was going to get in a fight there, which I thought was really silly. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's sure someone's going to come over, but usually it doesn't lead to bare knuckle brawls like that. I mean, I mean, sometimes it does, but I don't know what you thought about all that. It was a, it was a pretty crazy situation. Were you? Yeah, I guess maybe you weren't following along with me on Twitter, but I was pretty uh, angry on the internet last night. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, here's here's my thing, and I. Okay, I totally understand that the slide into Riddick was more than likely accidental. I'm not going to say like, oh man, it's it should be automatic beat down. But the the reality is, at that point, whether it was accidental or not the way the game was going, the score of the game, that was the only excuse the team needed to start some kind of brawl number one. Well, and, so and, I, and you, you, you see, you see um, conflict anytime any go- player ever contacts a goalie, there's always conflict. It doesn't matter always. what the score is, what game you see it in preseason playoffs, everything. It's, that's just, it's a given, right? So yeah, you, the, in a sense, you're right. Like it's going to lead to something, sure. but yeah, go ahead. It's it's going to lead to something. I mean, you know, Riddick even got a shot in and said, yeah. hey, get off me. And I, I get that. Anytime you contact a goalie, there's going to be more contact. It's it's just something you should expect. I think the issue is due to the score, due to the, I don't know, there there are a lot of really, in my opinion, and maybe, maybe you have different feelings on this and that's fine, a, a lot of really soft calls in that first period. Led, led the team to start not only down goals, but just down a man for most of the first period. Um, you know, it, I'm sure that the Preds had to feel like this wasn't going their way all night. And then this happens. It's like, okay, now this is a perfect excuse. No one's really going to fault us if we start getting rough out here after you have somebody slide into our goalie. And they do it. I don't have a problem with it at that point. In that ensuing scrum, Ekholm rips the helmet off. Now, if you want to give him an unsportsmanlike or whatever, that that's fine. I don't really care about that. Um, it did look funny, you know, and if that had been the end of it, everyone would have said, oh, Ekholm's a jerk, and we would have just gone on with our lives. But then that's when you have the additional activities. And I think when Landeskog comes over, you know, it's interesting. In, in, in the clip you played, I believe that must have been the uh, Avalanche feed because I heard I heard the phrase used – now Landis Gog and Eckholm are going toe to toe. Kind of uh, not yeah. really an accurate read on that situation. <laughs> I think that's the problem for me is that that was kind of done and over. Eckholm just looked like a jerk for gripping a dude's helmet off and throwing it, even though it was funny. But then Landis Gog comes over, doesn't give him a chance to throw his gloves off, get squared up, anything like that. Just starts punching him. And I, I get it. Like, I mean, I guess that's what you needed to do as, as, as a guy on the avalanche, that's okay. Well, you're going to rip my guy's helmet off. I want to punch you in the face. Yeah. But for me, the rules of engagement, the rules of combat, especially in hockey, you shouldn't be taking cheap shots. And if you're going to come up on a guy and just drop your gloves and start punching him without giving him a chance to have a fair fight, I just think it makes you look weak. I think it's, it's a real cowardly move. I, I compare it to when you see a NASCAR driver get out of their car, they're going to go confront a fellow driver over an incident that happened while they were racing, they get out, leave their helmet on and run up on a guy without his helmet and shove him or try to start a fight while wearing a helmet. It just, it just looks weak. And I expected better than that from Landis Cog in that situation. I really did. Didn't get it. 
Landeskog has a history of, of being a, a, a somewhat of a bully. Not 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 anything like um, Kadri or Cousins, like we mentioned earlier. He's not like that, but pro- probably more just like he's just a bigger dude, and he's a, a big physical guy, and he's he's he he throws his weight around a lot on the ice. After the ice, I don't remember seeing much like this, but I, I you know probably if we went back, we could probably find some stuff. Um, I think I didn't have a huge problem with Landeskog's reaction. Maybe like, I mean, I, okay, here's, I think the result, Ekholm's bloody face and all that, uh, taints our uh, impression of it a tad, because I think, you know, if, if, if we watch the play happen and Ekholm rips the helmet off and throws it and there's just all kinds of craziness going on, in a scrum like that, there's going to be situations where uh, uh, players come up, um, you know, blindside, uh, on another player and start something. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it just, it happens in those kind of situations a lot. And when you're up against the glass like that, you really have to be kind of looking out for, for guys coming into the play or guys coming into the situation. Um, you see this kind of thing happen in baseball. Whenever there's a baseball scrum, uh, guys are, fight, you know, maybe fighting one-on-one with someone. And then a dude comes from the bullpen this way. Uh, who's trying to get involved. He, he's just trying to defend his boy, but like, you know, the, the, he's coming from the blind side. So I think that's kind of par- partially what happened. Um, I, you can't ignore Ekholm's involvement in this. You can't ignore that he instigated a little bit. And I, I think any Avs fans that would be upset that uh, Ekholm only got a two-minute unsportsmanlike have a point. Um, I, I, I didn't really feel like there was a, a whole lot of ill uh, or imbalance in the in – the, uh, in the situation other than the fact that Landskog would came on the blind side, but you know, Ekholm probably should have seen it coming. So I think I'm a little bit, I, I have a little bit of a different viewpoint on it than you do, but that's, that's fine. I just, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know if the Ekholm should have expected anything else other than uh, someone to come after him. I'm surprised it wasn't Kadri, to be honest. I don't know. I just, I hope, I hope the helmet's okay. <laughs> You're right. Okay. Uh, I don't know. So anyways, uh, after that, um, uh, the Preds couldn't capitalize on the power play at the beginning of the third period. They had a, a three minutes of a major, I guess, um, and couldn't get anything really. Uh, at that point, the game was over. It was 6-2 loss was the final. Landis, or, uh, Rantanen gets his hat trick later in that period. It was just, it was, fell apart. Just totally fell apart after that fight. Um, an example of... You were on the brink of losing control of the game entirely, and that set you off the edge. So that was really not a good result. So there you go. The Predators go one and two uh, on the last three games since our last show. We'll prep the next week uh, here at the end of the show, but we got to talk about uh, where things stand. So it's time for it's time to check in, uh, see, mm. where, see where things are at. Let's talk about the team overall first because um i I don't know that most people probably did not expect this but the predators are uh find themselves you know on the bubble i mean they are they are quite literally on the bubble right now they're in fifth place in the central with 23 points tied with colorado by the way who just met them at 23 points with that win um they're a one point ahead of dallas although dallas has two games at hand they are Seven points ahead of Chicago. That's about where I thought they'd be. And they're they're 13 points ahead of Arizona, which is really bad. Arizona's terrible. Um, 
the teams ahead of them, I think, are better than them in a lot of ways. Winnipeg, St. Louis, Minnesota, those teams are better. Colorado is better. I, I think this is almost exactly where I thought they would be at this point in the season and where I think they could finish the rest of the way, too. What do you think? I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. You started this by saying some people may be surprised. Were, were, were they surprised that the team was on the bubble or that they weren't higher? Oh, I think I think a lot of people would be surprised that they're not down with Arizona, that they're not like at the bottom of the central. I mean, so many people were so low on this team. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can I'm see I'm talking that. about the people who thought this team was going to be a lottery pick. That's yeah, what people okay. thought. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd say they're surprised too. I'm, I'm not surprised. It seems about right. I, yeah. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think the teams that are ahead of them, they're probably playing much better hockey right now. The teams that are behind them, they're probably better than those teams. I think it's about what we can expect. Um, you know, maybe some movement, per, perhaps up into fourth place. But I say in that fourth, fifth window is probably what's going mm-hmm. to be, you know, the expectation for the season for me. But I, th- I think that's what we both had kind of said at the start of the season too. So yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, I didn't understand making them a lottery pick. I, yeah, I think. I I think I, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand people who thought Chicago would be better than them. I didn't understand people that thought Arizona would be better than them. I, I think that they'll be battling with Winnipeg, Dallas, uh, may, maybe maybe Colorado or St. Louis in there every now and then. But you know those teams are going to be the, the the best of the crop. I think Minnesota could probably win the Central just based on how they're they're playing and their their makeup. Yeah, so this is where I thought they'd be. Now, how do they how do they improve upon this? Is another question. How do they how do they get better? I don't know that they can get a lot better. They they they've got some some young players going through growing pains. We'll talk about a couple of those names in a second, maybe. They've got their 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 top players are already playing top uh, minutes, right? They're, they're already they're already excelling. I mean, you cannot yeah. complain about Matt Duchesne, Ryan no. Johansson. Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi right now. Those guys are pulling all of the weight. You can't complain about UC Soros either, I think. He's, he's one of the top five goalies in the league right now in terms of the statistics. I mean, he doesn't have the wins, but he's got everything else. So I think, uh, you know, where you can't – it's not like uh, it's not like in previous years where maybe they were they were at the point they were in the season because – unsung heroes were stepping up guys like Jakob yeah. Renan or Tanner Janot or something like that. They're, they're at the point of the season because their top players have carried them there. So now either their top players are going to drop off a little bit, or they're going to have to get better play from their, some of their role players in order to, to continue it on. Yeah. You know, last season with the taxi squad and with, just dealing with injuries and things like that. The the next man up mentality was a huge part of this team's identity. And I, I want to say that uh, that that's kind of gone, not because of anything the team's done, but because that taxi squad doesn't exist. You have a very small pool of players that are able to step up when it is time to do so. Yeah. Um, so really you're looking for that, that depth scoring, the, the guys that are lower on the lineup to do more contributing to the offense. And that's, that's yeah. kind of, for me, the difference between this and last season. So when you say, how can they improve? And you said, you don't really know they can do a lot. I think, I think the biggest improvement they could make, and this goes back again to something Hines has said for a while. It's it's about mental toughness. It's about playing a full 60. And it's very cliche and it's very 
I don't know. It feels almost lazy to say, oh, that's how they could improve. But I, I'm not I'm not saying uh, they need to score more goals. I'm saying that you need to see a team that goes and plays against uh, Vegas, for example, for 60 minutes and not yeah. the, the first 10 and, and the last 10. Um, that's 20 minutes. Games are 60 minutes long. If you play that way the whole game, even if you don't win, it's a lot closer. Maybe you're forcing a tie. Maybe you're not putting the team in situations that they can't come back from without some kind of Herculean effort. And I, I think that's the biggest difference for me between, say, last season's next man up mentality and this season's mentality. But mental toughness and being able to, I don't know, flourish in, in bad situations is, is really the difference for me. And I think that's what I'd like to see moving forward. The, the team is very top-heavy right now. They're, the, the top five players, let's go ahead and call them six players. Duchesne, Granlund, Yossi, Johansson, Forsberg, Soros. Those are your yeah. top six players. Those are also your top six highest-paid players, so that's good. Uh, but those six players out of your 20, 24, 25, some odd that have played so far, uh, are, are carrying everything. And, and I don't mean just like they're, they're performing at a high level. They are performing at levels that they have not performed at in years. I mean, like Duchesne, Johansson uh, has been, have been excellent. I mean, Roman Yossi is almost walking away with the Norris right now. I mean, if, if the Norris voting happened right now, he would be unanimous. Like he's, he's that good. I, they, you, you, but then after that, you've got, you've got in terms of, in terms of points per game, just producing on the ice. Tanner Janot, Luke Cunnan, Philip Tomasino, Colton Sissons, Ellie Tolvin, and Jakob Trennan, all those guys well below what you would expect. I mean, not, well, Philip Tomasino, you don't know what to expect. But, like, I think about a guy like Ellie Tolvin. I mean, that, that guy only has one goal in 21 games. That's that's That can't happen. That, that, that's a guy that you have to get more scoring out of. I mean, he's on pace for less than 10 goals this year. I think people were putting him down for 30 at the beginning of this year. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really it's really rough for a guy like that. It's rough for, you know, Luke Cunning. You know, he I, I outside of last night's goal where he got a deflection into the net, I, I can't remember a time when I watched Luke Cunning and thought, there's a contributor on this team. He's just he's not really present. There's probably a reason for that. He's probably got he's probably shuffled around in the line quite a bit, but man, I, I I see this team as very surprisingly a very top-heavy team. I, I did not think we would see that this year. Um, and then the defense has its own issues. But, you know, the, it's it's very strange to, to see that because if you thought that those six players I named earlier were going to be the, the top producers of this team, you'd think, oh, man, this team's going to be running for the central. But they're really not. <laughs> it's, it's just the difference between – contributions down the depth chart and and to yeah. me i just you saw a team even, even you know before the pandemic where you had you didn't have a ton of top heavy you know scoring it was really spread out through the lineup there were times yeah. and you could say oh this this team's got you know 10 players with with double digit goals now granted nobody had 40 goals or 50 goals but you had a lot of people with 10 and when you're talking about ellie tolvanen not even on pace to score 10. Yeah. You know, you know you're kind of in a rough situation because that means that no one else is either aside from these top guys and at least they're doing that and I think that's the saving grace of the season but something's going to have to change where you're going to see 
I don't know, further down the mm-hmm. lineup, people starting to produce, or you could, could get kind of rocky. So let's let's do this. Let's talk about our, our stars of the class. So we're we're doing this report card thing. You can you can give your report cards however you want to. Um, my I just named it. I I just went with top three. I went with three guys that I think are A students, A plus students, model students for everyone else in the class to uh, to look up to, and that would be UC Soros, okay. Roy and Matt Duchesne. Um, okay. Matt Duchesne uh, is leading the team in goals. He's leading the team in points, and he's shooting twenty one percent, which obviously will come down. But he's he's also second on the team in shots, sixty two, compared to Roman Yossi's sixty four. Like that guy's shooting a lot, and he's still shooting at a high rate. Like that's incredible. Um, Roman Yossi, I just mentioned, if the Renoris Trophy voting happened today, I think he wins it going away. And then UC Soros is night in and night out carrying the team. I, I think um, his his um, workload is could potentially be a concern later in the season, but you really don't have the, the luxury of dealing with that. He started 17 of the team's 21 games. At that rate, he would start, what, 65, 70 games? Like, it would be uh, – that would yeah. be nuts. Um I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, that can't happen. He can't start 65 games. That's <laughs> that's a lot to take on, even though he's 26. Um, heavy workload. But he's, he's got a heavy workload. So those three are the top three stars of the class. How, how do you want to give out your report card here or your um, top works? I'll, I'll talk about my top three. And I, it's interesting because when you talked about yours, you used a lot of a lot of numbers. Let me Let me just go from a different angle here. Uh, the it. first person I'm going to point out, and maybe I'll try to go in a different direction and, and talk about three different players. We did have one crossover, but I'll I'll edit that on the fly. First person I want to talk about, my my top star of the class, however you want to say it, is Mikhail Granlund. Um, and I think, you know, I was thinking this anyway. Um, definitely a huge contributor, but I think, you know, his work ethic on the ice is incredible, getting to the front of the net. He's making a lot of great passes piling up a lot of assists, getting getting good greasy goals when we need them. But the thing for me, um, and, and I don't know, this is something I've noticed, maybe you've noticed it too, uh, talking to uh, being part of the media sessions after the game, is typically after a loss, there has to be a sacrificial land. They've got to send somebody out to the media uh, to have that conversation. Yeah. And, you know, typically – it's, it's been Roman Yossi as the captain of the team, and I think Yossi's always done a fine job of, of you know, taking responsibility, holding himself accountable, saying he needs to do more and things like that. But last night, um, after, the, after the game against Colorado, we saw Mikhail Granlin doing that, I think, for the first time. And what was really impressive to me about it was it, – I don't know who asked the question – um, were, were you in that session? I, th- I think it was Brooks. He was asking about his 400th assist or something. Yeah, it was four, his 400th point or something like that. Oh, yeah. and, and he's, you know, and it, it was interesting that this question was asked after what, what I would call a pretty ugly loss. Um, you know, oh, how did it feel getting your 400th career point in the game? And, and he's just like, yeah, I didn't even know that happened. Who cares? <laughs> you know, like, and I think the thing is, you, you see. And, and I said on Twitter, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's I'm sure he's proud of that accomplishment in the grand scheme of things. But when you're the guy that's sent out to the media to have that conversation after an ugly loss on the road, um, 
that's really taking accountability. That's, that's saying, look, I, okay, great. whoop de doo I, I got my 400th career, whatever, but look at what happened on the ice. That, that can't happen. We've got to be better. And I think, you know, it's, it's very cliche, but that's, it's putting the team above yourself and, and saying, Hey, look, I want to accept responsibility for this. I mean, I think it's kind of a weird thing. You know, it, it, we've got to send somebody out there to, to take the heat for the rest of the team after a loss. But, um, you know, some guys, they're just better at that. And I, I can remember, yeah. gosh, a couple of seasons ago, um, we talked to Pecorine after, after a loss like that. And it was, you just felt really bad for him, you know? Not, he, he was really pretty bad after losses. Yeah, yeah. you're right. But Kyle Granlin has become the go-to post-game loss uh, interview. It's like him, Roman Yossi. I remember Nick Benino did that for a while. Like Nick Benino was a go-to for that. Um, yeah, that's a good point, Mikhail Granlin. All right, who else you got? Okay, so past that, I, I also want to say I want to say that Ryan Johansson's top of my list, and and one of the reasons, and this is again, it's not it's not numbers stats based. Um, he seems like he's having fun while he's playing hockey, mm-hmm. and it seems like that when he's like that, it really rubs off onto the other players. And they play differently, I think, when you have that Johansson on the ice. Now, um, depending on who he's playing with, and it was a little bit different before most of these injuries had cleared up, you know, that was bringing a lot of energy to the guys farther down the roster. And that's what we were just talking about. You need to see that happening. You need to see more contributions from the guys a little little bit lower down in depth. Um, For whatever reason, you know, I think since everybody's come back from injury, you haven't seen that happening, but I'm, I'm hoping that that continues. I'm impressed with Johansson doing that and stepping into that role as, as one of the older guys as opposed to one of the younger guys and kind of taking the younger guys under his wing and showing them, hey, we can still have fun while we do this. And I, I like that a lot. Now, I was going to say, I was going to also say UC Soros um, yeah. because <clears throat> for the uh, – same reasons that you said. I think it's hard to argue that he's anything other than the top for the sake of talking about somebody different. I would like to talk about Dante Fabro. Um, I think he's having a much better season. I think, and I think he's someone that, and I'm not going to say was unfairly criticized, but I think it's someone who is criticized and scrutinized quite heavily um, ever since he's been on the team. And I think now that he's got realistically uh, a, what should be a full season coming up, He's had a full training camp. He's he's been with the players for a while. I think he's having a much better season, and I'm I'm pretty happy with the results. Yeah, I, I, that's a good one. Yeah, Dante Fabro has has played well. Uh, offense that he's producing is is little, but I think he's. Uh, I mean, I, I would say between the pairing of Fabro and Ekholm, he's he's the better of the two. Uh, and so, like, let's let's go ahead and move into that. Actually, let's talk about. Who's been absent and tardy first? <laughs> because uh, that that that's that's another thing you have to deal with when you when you talk to your when you uh, when teachers have to make their assessment about you know what who's who's doing well in class. You got to look around. Who's not showing up? Yeah. Who's literally not in the room? Well, Philip Forsberg has missed a lot of games, obviously because of injury. Um, I would go ahead and say that Ellie Tolvanen has just been uh, not absent. Actually, no, I I have Ellie Tolvanen in a different different category. For my for my money, Luke Cunning has been sleeping in class. He's not absent. He's been there, but he's been the guy, the kid in the back, 
it's a sleeping class. You got to keep waking him up. You got to remember that he's there. Uh, maybe Ellie Tolden is in that category too because of the, the the weapon that he has, the skill that he has. He's not producing in the same way. Uh, Philip Forsberg has missed too much class. Luke Cunning has been a sleeping class, and Ellie Tolden is just late every day. So uh, he doesn't hmm. have any tardy notes uh, with us uh, when, he, when he shows up. Um, uh, there, there may not be much debate to that one because, I, I mean, there hasn't been a ton of uh, absences from key guys. I mean, like, I don't know. Who else has even missed time? I mean, I guess Matthew Olivier has missed time. Um, can't really think of any, any, other, any others, really. But any, anything to add there? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd say I'm, I'm curious what's going on with Phil Myers. Um, oh, good call. Good call. That yeah. that could be an absence for me in a, a yeah, no, situation. Very, very um, good call. I'm I'm curious again. I I try to when you have you know trades and things like that, and you look at the players acquired. I, I try to be realistic about expectations, but um, I'm still going to say that the Predators traded away Ryan Ellis in exchange for two guys, and one's in Milwaukee, and one's getting scratched every night. Yep. Um, I, I don't know why I'd like to know. I I'd like to know why maybe it's, maybe it's none of my business, but um, you know, I'd, I'd like to see like a progress update or something like that. Just to kind of see that, you know, we're moving toward getting back on the ice or moving toward coming back to um, coming back to the big team. And of course, glass down in down in Milwaukee is actually doing pretty well. Um, so I would expect to see him coming back at some point, but yeah, I, I, if you've got, if you're going to keep a guy on the main roster, meaning he's not getting playing time, I mm-hmm. I, I would consider that an absence. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into your uh, who do you have on your list of players that need in school suspension or who deserve detention? Uh, who, who's uh, who are you focused on in terms of like who would you send to the principal's office uh, on a on a routine basis? Huh. You know I. I do want to say this. Um, you said earlier, you said that you had Ellie Tolvanen on a different list, and I'm assuming that you think he deserves attention. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, I, I do. <laughs> but you, but you, can, you can put in there, too, if you want. Well, I, you know, here's the thing about, about detention is it's, it's supposed to be punishment, right? Um, and I don't necessarily think this person needs punishment. I, and you mentioned somebody not having any, any, uh, parent excuses or tardy notes. There is somebody I want to give, give a, a pass to, but I do want to say that I want to see more out of, I don't necessarily know if that's detention or not, but I, I want to see Tomasino start burying some of those chances he has. Um, mm-hmm. we've seen him alone in front of the net quite often. We've seen him lined up with some pretty good wide open nets on the uh, back door and it's not connecting for whatever reason. Now, I don't think that means that, you know, he's not good or that's not going to happen. I think it's probably because he's new to the school, doesn't quite know his way around yet. He's a little <laughs> overwhelmed by the number of kids, at least the size of the kids in the hallway. Um, freshmen are often like that. You know, they're much smaller yeah. than everybody else. Everybody seems so big all of a sudden. You go yeah. from being the king of the hill in eighth grade at the middle school to being the the tiny little man in the hallway at the high school. So. Um, I'm sure once he gets used to it, he's going to be just fine. But that's someone, you know, if we're talking to parents right now, that's what I'm mean. really, you know, he's showing up. We're really proud of him. We really want to see him start uh, putting putting some of these pucks in the back of the net when he has the chance. And I'm sure they would agree too. It's not like he doesn't want to do it. It's not like they don't want to see it happen. 
Um, but you know, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm going to have to agree with you on your uh, choice for detention, but I'll let you explain that one. Uh, th- that was pretty, for, for me, uh, Ellie Tolvanen is there just because, um, he is not, he is not doing the schoolwork. He's not doing his homework. He's not, he's not turning in his assignments. He's not participating in group projects. He's, uh, he's, he's just, just putting his head down on his desk when it's time to take the test. And uh, sometimes you just got to send a guy like that a message and send, send him to in-school suspension for a couple days and let him know what he's missing out on because they need that guy to produce at five-on-five, five, at power, on, on the power play. Um, they, can't, they cannot have that guy go one goal in 20 games no. uh, for the next 60 games. It just can't happen. I mean, they, they have to have production out of that guy. Uh, the other guy on my list would be Matthias Ekholm. Um, he's not had a very productive year. He has a he has a role that is probably uh, a tough one. I mean, he has to take a lot of defensive minutes. He's got a uh, he's got to pair up with uh, a couple different guys. His his offensive production is not there. He's getting frustrated. You can tell that. The surprise is penalty minutes are pretty low actually for for what he does. He's only got eight penalty minutes on the season. Um, uh, so he's doing a good job there, I guess. But uh, for that guy, and then the other one would be Nick Cousins. Um, Nick Cousins, I think, is a role that they want to have on the team. I just don't know how good he is at it. I, I, I think he's he could be better at it. He, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a lot of consistency to his like puck game enough to see like oh he's out there because of that reason too. Um, I don't know. I, Nick Cousins to me just does not seem to really, you know, he's only got he's, he's only going to be around this one year. Maybe he's trade bait at some point. Some other team wants him. He typically gets traded at the deadline, anyways. Um, I, he just doesn't really fit. He's kind of a misfit. Maybe he needs to transfer to another school. You know. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> who would you Who would you rather see in that role? And I, and I mean, you know, within the organization, whether it's like who do you see maybe coming up. Uh, from Milwaukee or maybe even down at the the junior level that could fill in that role the way you think it should be played? Well, I think on the team right now, I I think Tanner Janot fills that role much better. I mean, he he doesn't have the same, like, uh, bite, I guess, to his game that that, that Cousins does. But I think he's smarter about it, too. And he's he's, he's also listening. Physically, he's a a very impressive guy. I mean, he's he's very – he's just physically fit. He's a very strong guy. But he can also he can also play that role as the as the the disruptor. The, the obvious answer for me would be Zachary Larue. Their 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 uh, other first round pick from this past yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and he's just like that. That guy is kind of the future of that position to me. I mean, I th- I wouldn't be surprised if he's there next year because Cousins won't be there. Um, yeah, that would be the guy. I think that's that's who I was thinking you would pick, and that's who I'd pick as well. And I, I think yeah. it's funny. <laughs> I think whenever anybody mentions the name, at least to someone who's familiar with the organization, everybody gets a smile on their face. Yeah, um, it's gonna be fun. <laughs> it's gonna be fun to watch that guy. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about it. I, I mean, if I, anything uh, else, if anything else, because it'll give the Predators a guy that will probably routinely be on national mindset in terms of players that other teams just hate. Oh, I, they're you know, going to hate him. They're, they're going to, they're going to hate them. And I think anybody who's a fan of this team is going to love them. I, I, you know, Eric yeah. Dune over 
with me and on the forecheck does the uh, on the future and he regularly is tweeting out you know um what all of these prospects are doing and i'd really have to credit him um is the reason why i know so much about the organization at all of these different levels um mm-hmm. just regular updates you know i think he got i think he got suspended for four games and since yeah. he's been back he's just been on a tear and i remember when we got to talk to him after he was drafted and he said you know you know if you could you know who would you um if you could just compare yourself to any player who would it be and he just got this big grin on his face and said brad marchand and you're like oh yeah. boy i think i think we're in for a ride with this one i'm looking forward to it <laughs> it's I, yeah see I, I don't i don't think he has the top end talent that marchand does i, I real, honestly i i think he's going to be more of a tom wilson type that's like that gets suspended frequently that also has some skills with the puck that's, that's kind of that mold. I mean, as as probably uncomfortable as that's going to make Predators fans, uh, that's kind of what he's going to be. And uh, I, I think he'll be better than like Kadri. Uh, I mean, I think he'll be. I don't think he'll be quite as. Um, I don't know. Kadri to me just is a troll. He's just like a. He just just tries to troll people. Uh, whereas Tom Wilson like plays the game so physically. And, and with no, with just reckless abandon all over the place, that he, mm-hmm. he ends up in these situations where he elbows dudes in the face and boards them and gives guys concussions and all kinds of awful stuff. So he, he's got a lot to his game. Kadri to me is just a, a troll, and he's also just he he plays incredibly dirty. You can see all kinds of awful hits from him. Um, anyways, all all that being said, yeah, Zachary Leroux would be the guy. Um, I think we've got everybody. I think we've covered pretty much everything. We we talked about who the top stars are. We talked about who deserves attention. I think we've I, at this point in the season. I think it's good. It's it's important to take uh, take note of where things stand overall. And uh, it, it's you know the the next the next month or so the, the the month of December is always a weird one to me because you've got uh, you, you finally might see some like. Some, some more like tactical changes, or maybe some lineup changes in the in the on the team because the you know the coaching staff knows you know we, we've got 20 games on our belt. Let's see who's producing and who's not. Maybe we'll see a Cody Glass come up. Maybe we'll see Philip Myers back into the lineup, which would be really good to see. Um, maybe we'll see someone else from the from from Milwaukee come back. Maybe Rocco Grimaldi makes an appearance again. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the month of December has. But in the next week, we've got Tuesday versus Columbus. Uh, we saw a lot of Columbus last year, a lot of wins over Columbus last year. Uh, Thursday, speaking of Brad Marchand, Boston Bruins coming to town. That should be fun. Uh, and return of Saturday, Craig Smith. Oh, yes. Return of Craig Smith. Tribute video time. And then Montreal... Uh, we have the return of anybody. Is there any former president? I don't think so. But the the rematch of a couple weeks ago will, will happen there. So maybe the Predators can get revenge after that bad loss in Montreal. Yeah. Um, maybe Matt Duchesne can get another hat trick, and this time one that matters. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Okay. I hope. All right. You can check out all of our hockey coverage at azsportsnational.com. Please also go to onthefourcheck.com as well. You can read Sean and uh, the guy he mentioned, Eric Dune, who always does great work over there, talking about prospects. Really love his work. Everybody's work over there is great. All, all good game recaps. 
and uh, pre-game threads, all kinds of stuff. Follow me on Twitter at AlexDarty1. Follow Sean on Twitter at SCSOTF. And we will see you next week.